next six weeks, we're going to be in the book of Habakkuk. It's fitting that in Lent that we would be studying this, and I am expectant of how the Spirit is going to meet us uh, in the power of uh, our Lord. So I'm going to begin with a brief introduction to the book, and then we're going to say the first four verses, so I'll read that in just a moment. We know very little about Habakkuk as a person. Jewish tradition says that he is from the tribe of Simeon. Others say he is from the tribe of Levi. He is uh, identified as a prophet. Perhaps he served officially in the temple because there are some musical notations in the book as well as a song at the end. Some believe that he was a musician or a priest involved in worship. There's even a mystery about his name some scholars believe it's the same as a fragrant Assyrian plant. Others say that Habakkuk means embrace, especially as a means of keeping warm when there is no shelter or like a hug. While we don't know much about his life except for the recorded conversation of his words in this book, we focus on the message which we believe is what we're meant to know. The time that Habakkuk ministered is more easily ascertained. He spoke about the imminent invasion of Babylon, which happens after King Josiah's reign, so it's thought to be around 609 BC, after the fall of Israel, before the fall of Judah. Now we remember King Josiah as the one who came on the throne at eight years old after the wickedness of his father and grandfather and many kings before him josiah was a good king who sought to honor the lord and sought to restore both the physical and spiritual ruin all around him now he's killed after a long reign and his evil son jehoiakim is put on the throne as the vassal of egypt and this begins an extremely traumatic time in Israel's history, the king exploited everyone he could, perpetuated violence on his people, especially when they were not loyal or they had no power. He killed the prophet who said that Jerusalem would fall and burn Jeremiah's words as if doing those things would prevent them from happening. Those who served him as leaders and priests and judges then followed his example because anything goes by acting the same. And this led to even more widespread corruption and oppression. The king's selfish nature, coupled with the vulnerability of people not listening to God, and also weakened by the repeated attacks by the nations around them, especially Syria, leads Babylon eventually to taking over in 587 BC. So this is the time that Habakkuk is ministering. We talked before about the term minor prophet and how that refers to the size of the writings, not the significance. Habakkuk is a contemporary of Jeremiah and Nahum and Zephaniah. This book is called an oracle, which in Hebrew means burden. It has the literal meaning of something that has been lifted and is being carried. God is preparing his people for an unwanted and devastating change in their situation. And Habakkuk is only 56 verses, but it helps to get the people ready for the fall of their nation. But imagine 
Imagine how that must have felt for Habakkuk and the other prophets. They had the task to explain to the people about the exile, about the loss of what God had promised them since Moses being taken away while still trying to inspire faith and holy living. In this book, we hear familiar refrains from well-known stories in the Bible, including Abraham's journey and the desert wanderings in the Exodus, the sufferings of Job and the plaintive cries of the psalmists. There are a few verses you might know from Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by faith. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all of the earth stand in silence before him. And the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on to new heights. Now, a very interesting aspect of this book is that Habakkuk doesn't direct any of his conversation to people. Instead, we are overhearing his honest and direct prayer to God and the answer that God gives in return. It is as though he wants us to eavesdrop on this recorded piece of his dialogue with Yahweh, which actually has taken place over many years. As we are given insight into his contemplative life, it is a moving experience that we can instantly relate to. Because there are timeless questions and wonderings here about the character of God in the face of great despair and darkness. Habakkuk is a mature believer. He is a leader who trusts in God's intent for establishing righteousness on the earth. But Habakkuk is confused. He is in despair about God's silence when evil was thriving openly all around him. In extra-biblical writings and in early Christian art, Habakkuk is associated with the prophet Daniel and with Christ. However, Habakkuk's biggest claim to fame is how he was pivotal in the conversion of Martin Luther. In the book of Romans, Paul quotes Habakkuk, saying how the righteous shall live by faith. And Luther spent hours in contemplation on Romans, trying to understand the gospel of grace. And Habakkuk helped Luther to see the righteousness of God as not an impossible requirement, but as a divine grace to the believer by means of faith. So with all of this in mind, let us begin with Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4. It's in your bulletin. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen or cry out to you. Violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Let us pray. Lord God, we recognize that we are on sacred ground today with your word in front of us. We affirm your holiness 
And while we are grateful that you extend perfect love to us, we want to worship you in the fullness of who you are. Jesus, thank you for your servant, Habakkuk. May we be led by your spirit today and hear you clearly. Amen. So before we get into Habakkuk's words, uh, let's think for a few moments about the nature of complaining. We can be vocal about people and circumstances in our lives that we find annoying, wrong, and out of order. And because we live in a broken world, the opportunity that we have to complain is endless. Have you ever thought about that? Beauty and giving God thanks for the astounding blessings that we have, we can also focus on everything we see as wrong. So what is the difference between complaining in our lives when they aren't to our standard and lamenting about the pain that we see? How do we tell the difference? Well, Megan has talked to us this morning about how lament is a deep sorrow for the suffering and unfairness and injustice in our world. It is to be unable to barely breathe when we see tanks going into Ukraine. It is to weep when a baby dies. It is to mourn when we say goodbye to a friend or a loved one in this life. It is to cry out with those living under oppression who are denied their basic freedoms. It is to weep when one loses one, one's whole livelihood for no good reason. It is to see the consequence of human transgressions lived out every day in front of us and to be unable to do anything concrete about it. It is to list our grievances to the Lord when we see what should never be but continues to happen all around us because we know that it's contrary to God's heart and the plan that he has for humanity. In scripture, the prophetic voices help people understand and maintain the holiness of God. This is not just an Old Testament thing. God defines himself as I am, and we don't make up who God is. Rather, we try to hear and discern and understand God's character through the revelation given to us. As Wesleyans, we hold scripture as the primary vehicle to know truth, but we also trust in experience and church tradition and reason. But scripture has to be first because it is God's authoritative word to us. And we believe that scripture is alive through the spirit as we read it and study it and memorize it and the spirit brings it to mind. But we also know that God speaks to us through the encounters and the experiences that we have. Through what Christians have learned through generations and through the ability that God has given us to think complex thoughts. However, if any of those things are put above the Bible, then we are saying we know best then we're listening to the voices of culture or society around us, not necessarily to the Lord himself. So how we know truth and is a tension that we hold as believers. And like Habakkuk, we grapple as we try to understand what it means to live for God in a world that is full of danger and evil often seems to be winning. And in the face of so much heartbreak, it's easy to turn to God that we want to be only love or only truth. But we don't find that in scripture because God is both. 
When we are faced with the overwhelming darkness and trauma in this world, it is the true God that we want to turn to and all of his glory in all of the ways that he has revealed truth to us. So for today's passage, there are briefly three parts to Habakkuk's complaint that we will examine. Part one is found in verse one and two. Habakkuk is expressing how God is not listening to his plea for help. How long, Lord, he says, must I call for help but you don't listen? Or cry out to you, violence. That's like yelling, fire, violence. Trying to get God's attention, but you do not save. Now, there is much here for us uh, with which we can commend Habakkuk. He talks directly to God. He's seeking to understand instead of merely whining or judging. How many people in our lives do we know who just disengage with God because of all the bad things that happen? How often do we see God railed against in the many forums of life? as if he is not a real deity that we can talk to directly. This does have the feel of Job, except that here the one bringing the case against God does so on behalf of others, not himself. Also, these are valid points that the prophet is making because God is literally the only one who can bring change. Yet here's another tension that we don't fully understand. Is God the instigator of corruption and war? No. But does God allow humans a measure of free will that has resulted in widespread destruction of nations and people groups as well as unspeakable horrors we can't even begin to contemplate that still reverberate throughout history? Yes. This is rough. Habakkuk has been crying out to God for a while since we see him asking how much longer. He is overwhelmed. He has watched the inevitable march of evil and is living his society being wrecked. And we hear the limits of Habakkuk's soul. Lord, Lord, could you just let me know that you're there? If you give me something, I, I can hold on a little while longer. I can hold on these people that you've told me I have to minister to. However, the prophet is also making an assumption that God must not be listening. Since God has not come to the rescue, he must not care to save them. That is Habakkuk's thinking that we see. Now, we're going to discuss God's answer next week, but we should always check our assumptions that we make about God at the door. Just because God is not doing what we think he should does not mean that God doesn't care, that he is not listening, that he is not absolutely good. God knows more than we do, even those among us who know a lot. God knows more than they do. And here's one way that we know that God is engaged. Look at the very beginning. It says, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. Who is instigating Habakkuk to ask these questions? The Spirit of the Lord. This is the prophecy that the Lord himself gave. God is the God of integrity. God wants Habakkuk to be asking these questions and for us as people to grapple with them. God is an open God who knows everything and he leads us to pray. Dialogue is so necessary in our relationship with the Lord for our understanding and for our knowledge of how the Lord works. 
He has given a prophet a heart and a mind to lead the people through this time. The second complaint gets more specific. In verse 3, we see six problems of corruption in matched pairs. Injustice and wrongdoing, these deny life. Destruction and violence, these wreak havoc on relationships and communities. Strife and conflict, this is legal language. There's so much legality in courts going on at this time. Now, we've outlined how out of control the situation is in Judah. But look at what Habakkuk says. I actually laughed out loud when I read this. Why do you make me look at injustice, Lord? <laughs> you guys, you should laugh about that. Because Habakkuk is making it about himself, isn't he? How much easier would life be if we didn't have to see all of the awfulness all around us? If we didn't have to deal with the pain of the world, wouldn't it be simpler? Or so we think. But what about the pain of those targeted by the injustice? Scripture is full of how those who love God are told to pay attention. We're told to love everybody. That means that we, that we don't have a choice. It means that we can't not care about what is happening even when we don't want to be bothered. Even when we question if something really is an injustice, it's not our call. In God's silence, Habakkuk is being forced to live out what he knows to be true, and he sounds uncomfortable with that. Can I get an amen about how uncomfortable it is to live in a world where we just want peace? Amen. So in this, he's making another assumption. He says, God, why are you tolerating the wrongdoing? Why are you tolerating this, God? While evil is allowed for a time, we can't put human reactions or motivations to God. Last week, we talked about evil. We talked about how humans, we are vulnerable to it. We have to pray against it. We have to ask God and seek the Lord in the places and mindsets that we find ourselves in because of how susceptible we are, even though we think we're not, because we think we're so smart and we're so above it, but we're not. That's how wily evil is. It, we, it makes us think that we're okay. But we know that one day when all is revealed, when we see God face to face and not dimly in a mirror, as Paul says, we're going to see all of the ways that God did indeed shield us from destroying ourselves many times over. Have you ever thought of that? How many times? The world and humanity should have been destroyed so many times over. But that doesn't always ease the pain that we have now. It doesn't quiet our sense of injury or our sense of compassion for, or hurt for the things that we see and feel here. We have a God who feels everything that we do and even more acutely because he is absolutely involved, intimately involved with every pain in the world. That's how big our God is. He doesn't simply tolerate our pain. He grieves with us and is busy helping, helping to make it better. The last complaint is from verse 4 about what happens when the issues Habakkuk just outlined doesn't get addressed. Habakkuk says, the law is paralyzed, God. Justice doesn't prevail. The wicked hem in the righteous. And in all of these things, Habakkuk says, justice 
is perverted. Now, the Hebrew word for justice, I know I'm not going to pronounce it correctly. You can see Dave Feinberg or Scott Williams if you, if you want that, is mishpat. And it's being used in dual ways in verse 4 here. When Habakkuk says that the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails, he is talking about an ideal of justice that God creates for all people to have. But when Habakkuk says the wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted, he is talking about how individual judges are making bad decisions. That their rulings favor a corrupt society instead of the people who seek resolution for their situations. The judges are favoring those in power instead of the marginalized. And because the system looks like it's functioning outwardly, it passes for justice. But Habakkuk is saying, God, your true justice isn't occurring. And due to the wickedness of King Jehoiakim, the corrupt have gained a foothold in the power structure, so they use the legal system to their advantage. And since the righteous have been um, themselves allowed themselves to be outmaneuvered by the evil, either due to apathy or their own sin, Habakkuk is saying that they are also partly to blame. When the righteous are silent, when the righteous don't act, when the righteous don't say anything and stand up for what God wants us to stand up for, we are partly to blame. The depth of human depravity extends much deeper than just individual lives. Everything is affected by our brokenness, which Habakkuk is grieving here in the last complaint. So in just these few short verses, we see a foundation of what the rest of the book will be. And I encourage you to read all 56 verses. It won't take you very long to allow the Spirit of God to speak. Often in our probing questions and in our doubts and our laments, we think somehow that we are in an oppositional state to God. However, in truth, these expressions of doubt and question and laments are expressions, they're gifts to the believer. They create an openness and an authenticity and a conversation with God in times where our souls are raw because of suffering or because of what we're living through. And what we see with Habakkuk is that while there is lament, there is also great faith. There is also great hope. Because why else would he cry out to the God of his life. Habakkuk is Yahweh's servant who is hoping for a better world and hoping and praying that God will act in accordance with the love Habakkuk knows he has. We will see the Almighty's response next week, but I want to say how conversations like this are formational for us as Christians. They are a matter of trust between us and the Lord. We are God's covenant people. That has never changed. And on all of our expressions of sorrow, we have to decide, does God hear us? Does God truly care about the violence affecting the world? Does God's law apply to everyone? And does God's truth hold absolute relevance for us as we stand for him today? I say yes. What about you? Let us pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.